welcome back to Eric Likes Animals. I'm Eric Mahan. Thank you guys so much for listening. I have a great show ahead of you guys today, so let's get started with some environmental news. First up, global climate change has taken from us another victim in its prime. The European skier and snowboarder. The Alps snow and glacier accumulation has drastically decreased over the years, and a true travesty being that these things are obviously key components for the survival of the European skier and snowboarder. It's become so dramatic that change can be seen from space, which, let's be honest, was a statement that was a little more impressive before satellites got so good we can spy into our neighbor's backyard with Google Earth to see if their pool looks a lot nicer than ours. If we even had a pool. (laughs) If having less snow was a big enough problem for our poor skiers, the plant life above the tree line of the mountains has actually increased 80%, creating thicker forests and more shrubs in an area that should not have any, and changing the environment not just for the animals that live there, but making the ride down the mountain a lot more difficult for our poor skiers. All right, man, you ready for this? Yeah, dude, let's shred some snow. Oh, man, this is incredible. Oh, shit, bush. Phew, that was close. Haha, nice one, dude. Ah, crap, tree. Oh, no, dude, I'll see you at the bottom. Oh, wait, where'd all the snow go? Crap, man, I ran out of snow. Man, that was like 15 feet. Total bogus. Next up, a moth that has not been seen in over a century was rediscovered at the Detroit airport. The moth species has not been seen since 1912. The moth at the airport was reported by a Customs and Border Protection agent who stated that some larvae and pupa were found in some seed pods that a passenger who was traveling from outside the country claimed was for medical tea. Hmm. These Medical seed pods were inspected and discovered to have tiny insect holes in them. The agency hatched them out in a quarantine zone and had a Smithsonian expert study them and thus determine it was actually this species of moth that no one has seen in over a century. Probably because it was too busy enjoying those medical seed pods and eating a bunch of snacks to ever truly leave the forest. And finally, a number of thefts of rare orchids from nature sites in southern England has concerned scientists who were already concerned on the survival of these endangered plants. Ten burnt-tip orchids and 30 spider orchids have vanished from a national nature preserve. This is apparently nothing new for England, however, since many species over the years almost went extinct because of harvesting from the wild. And that has changed since they put in laws to protect these plants from greedy gardeners. It should be noted as well that these orchids are not like the $10 ones at Walmart, but will almost 100% probably die if you move them due to its relationship with a special fungi in the soil that it normally is found in growing. It's so bad that another orchid species in which there is only one individual left is in a top-secret location surrounded by a metal cage and is under 24-hour surveillance. And even if you're the top orchid person with credentials, you may not even be allowed to see it. So come on, jerks. Let's be real. Stealing endangered orchids would not impress anyone, not even at HeistCon. Okay, guys. 
What was the best thing that you guys stole this year? Well, I stole a 95-inch flat-screen TV. Nice. I know where I'm going to be watching all the big games now. Anybody else? Well, I stole a Lamborghini. Ooh, a Lamborghini. Big man. Well, I stole three of Cleopatra's golden eggs from her treasury. Okay, guys, calm down. It's not a competition. Hey, you, new guy. This is your first year, right? What'd you steal? Well, uh, I uh, stole 40 endangered orchids. Um, okay, like some mansion or house you stole this from? Nah, they were like in a field or something, but yeah. The grass was really itchy, so I had to put a lot of ointment. Right. Alright, everyone except for Orchid Loser, after party on my yacht, which I obviously stole. And that's it for environmental news. So, for today's species, I want to talk to you guys about a fish. Now, I realized the last two fish were saltwater. So, I definitely felt like for this episode, I wanted to go freshwater because there really are some amazing freshwater fish out there. And definitely on the top of that list is the Arapaima. The Arapaima, or the Pararacu, which means redfish in the Tupi language, or in Peru referred to as Paichi, which is a whole lot of names for a whole lot of fish. Now, this is a beast of a fish and has been shown in many different shows like River Monsters because it is actually blamed for a lot of deaths and injuries over the years to people. It is one of the largest freshwater fish out there, reaching at the max up to about 440 pounds or 200 kilograms and reaching about the size of 10 feet or 3 meters long. However, more commonly found ones are 200 pounds or 90.7 kilograms and 7 to 8 feet or 2.2 to 2.4 meters. But hey, that would still make one hell of a fish story. The Arapaima can live up to about 20 years, and sort of very random and sort of an odd but fun fact, so you can just deal with it, is that the gastrointestinal tract of the Arapaima and other related fish to it is actually on the left of the stomach, where every other fish pass to the right, which, well might be a fact that might never help you in your life or who knows maybe you'll end up on jeopardy and that will be one of the questions and heck if that does happen and you do get it correct i expect a cut of those winnings what is arapaima they are found in brazil peru and guyana and normally prefer slow moving normally oxygen poor parts of the amazon river or surrounding bodies of waters and lakes so of course rainy season when the rivers flood into the forest is like a huge party for them these guys are basically if a rocket made love to a fish the love child of these two combinations would be the arapaima these guys are very streamlined but still very bulky and have a very broad rock hard head but a very long but low dorsal fin. The same can be said for its tail. It's not really that much wider than its body in terms of height, but just big enough to be able to turn up speed and not have too much drag, which really comes in handy during the rainy season since these guys will actually swim through the now flooded forest floor, which doesn't give them a lot of clearance. The scales on these guys are like medieval armor, 
extremely hard exterior scales, making any potential predator rethink if it has the jaw power to break through. And then underneath a soft collagen interior so it doesn't lose any sort of mobility. Even the extremely powerful bite of the piranha can't actually break through these scales. And if they tried, they would break their teeth. And there is no such thing as fishy dentures. Break it for me, kids. If you see an arapaima, don't even try it. The colors of the arapaima are copperish green in the head with a black body with some white in the center, but the real striking thing is that bright red tail. These are actually perfect colors to blend into the murky waters of the Amazon. Sometimes these fish can be found in the murkiest of waters, normally full of decaying plant material and, of course, in flood zones. Because unlike some fish that these oxygen levels in these waters would be too low and all that decaying plant material would make all the tannins in the water be too high to survive, the arapaima actually thrives there. So the arapaima has very small gills, but it has a unique swim bladder. So normally for fish, a swim bladder is kind of what helps give them buoyancy and help control their descent and ascend through the water column sort of an idea that our own humans stole to create submarines. Because if we are humans and we build it, nature probably already did it first, sort of like TV shows going up against The Simpsons. Now, the swim bladder for the arapaima, however, acts like a lung for it to breathe normal oxygen out of our air, which can actually help them survive out of the water for up to 24 hours. But normally, in the water, they only come up every 10 minutes to get a breath of air, but most scientists believe they can actually stay down much longer if needed. This, plus their diet, explains why it has another interesting feature, which is they have an upturned mouth, which sort of looks like they have big pouty lips, or it sort of looks like duck lips that a girl would take during a selfie. Selfie! Since it breathes air, especially in extremely poor oxygen rivers, having a mouth that is pointed up is pretty helpful because having a bottom mouth like a catfish would mean that it would have to actually do a somersault flip sort of thing and swim upside down just to get a breath of air. Now, that, along with its diet, is probably one of the main reasons why it has an upturned mouth. For you see, its main diet is fish, but fish sometimes might not always be available. So it will even go after things like fruits and seeds that could be found floating at the top of the surface, especially during the rainy season when it would be swimming through the forest. However, these are not the only things it eats because it is an extremely vicious predator. Eating mostly fish, like I said, but it will go after many things at the surface like insects, birds, and yes, even mammals. Now, how they catch their prey is also extremely impressive, for you see, they will actually open up their mouth, which is extremely wide, and create some sort of vacuum, sucking anything close enough in front of it down the arapaima's throat like a vacuum of death. Which, I think, arapaima would be a great vacuum cleaner name. Come on down for the arapaima, just like the fish it's named after, is so powerful it could suck up anything you leave around your house. A bug, a fish, a mouse, and even those pesky monkeys running around your house will be a problem no more when you set yourself up with the arapaima. For when you think clean, 
Think Arapaima. However, if your cat and dog wasn't scared of the vacuum yet, it probably would be if that thing actually existed. Now, since the Arapaima love low oxygen areas, unlike other fish that might get stuck in these areas and normally become very sluggish and slow due to the low oxygen, the Arapaima exploits that for when the fish are slowing down, well, they make easy snacks. You might think a fish or another animal that gets caught by an arapaima might be able to wiggle out of that mouth, but once it goes in, it's not coming out. For you see, these big guys have a series of teeth along their jaw and an extra set of teeth on the roof of their palate. And if that wasn't bad enough, they even have a sharp tongue that can be used to crush things that enter it. So it's sort of like a bear trap. There's no escape. Like many other top predator fish, however, you have to get to that impressive size first to become king of the river. A full-grown arapaima may only have a caiman to worry about once it's full-grown, but first it has to get to that size, making it have to swim the gauntlet of being food for everybody else. Baby arapaima or fry are small enough to be a yummy, vengeful snack for many fish species, especially species like cichlids. Luckily, these little arapaima fry normally have some help, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself since we need to first make little arapaima before we start talking about protecting them. So breeding normally happens during the dry season between February and March, and arapaima will lay thousands of eggs in a nest about 28 inches long and 10 inches deep. These nests are dug out in the sand by the little fins of their parents, and after the eggs are laid, the parents will actually guard the nest ferociously, attacking anything, including people that get too close. And a 220-pound fish jumping out of the water at you with armor plating is like getting punched in the chest from the Hulk himself. Hence why it's blamed for so many deaths and injuries. The fry will normally hatch at the beginning of the wet season between October and November. Now, the fry will get their own food, but the male actually stand by and guard them. And the males do this when a predator comes nearby by opening his mouth in a signal fashion to usher in the fry to seek refuge within his mouth. And from there, he will either decide to fight off the threat or swim to a different area to protect his young. And because honestly, for those fry, the safest place is in the mouth of their father, or they will end up in the mouth of another fish, which will probably not let them out. Unlike their dad, that once they're out of the threat area, will normally then release his fry back into the waters. And it's very impressive when you also have to think that he's probably holding his breath the entire time because all those little fry are kind of in the way of him being able to breathe. Once they get big enough, they set off on their own, and in about four to five years, they will actually become sexually mature themselves and start trying to attack anything, even thinking of coming near their own nest. Unfortunately, that aggression is been exploited by people pretty readily. Since arapaima have to come to the surface and to breathe every so often, it's actually fairly easy to figure out where these fish are, especially because it's kind of hard to hide a giant 220-pound fish coming to the surface and taking a breath every so often. And fishermen will then use their aggression during their nesting season to catch them more easily for they will simply take a hook and start throwing their bait or whatever into the area that the 
Arapaima would normally be found in around the nest area, and eventually one of the adults will most likely attack the hook and hooking themselves, not because they're hungry, but simply because they're attacking something that keeps coming into their area. So yeah, they're being overfished pretty easily. Now, the IUCN red list does not actually have enough data for them to want to officially declare what is their conservation status, but many locals and scientists can tell their numbers are going down fast and larger arapaima are becoming harder and harder to find, with the large portion of it declining being due to overfishing. Oh, the burden of being a huge delicious fish. They are considered the cod of the Amazon, with very little bones in the meat themselves, which makes it much easier for people to eat. And let's be honest, tiny fish bones is probably the worst freaking part of eating a fish. Oh yay, fish for dinner. So, how was... Um, how was your uh, day at... Work today... But many of the locals in the government do not want to sit by and see this amazing animal disappear. So many strategies have been implemented. For one, not being able to fish during certain parts of the year, mostly during breeding season. And of course, having a minimum size requirement are huge steps forward. This will give a chance for each individual to breed and not have to worry about being caught while trying to protect their own nest and young which when they do catch a large arapaima guarding a nest, it's not normally the death of just one fish, but actually thousands because unprotected, they are easy snacks for other river predators. The government has also been training fishermen how to sustainably harvest from the arapaima wild stocks available, making it almost a sustainable nature farming or coexistence between people and nature. Huh, what a weird concept, getting along with nature. The government has also been trying to increase tourism to these villages that usually rely only on fishing and have created festivals that, yes, sell arapaima-based foods and crafts from dead fish, but also help celebrate and respect the fish. Also, tourists will pay large sums of money just for a chance to try and catch the legendary arapaima, leading to more profits for the fishermen to take a tourist out and have a guaranteed sum of money for themselves, no matter whether that tourist gets a fish or not. And normally, it is a lot more money than just fishing an arapaima out themselves. So, yeah, good old tourism definitely helps out. Which is a thing everyone seems to forget about conservation efforts. Amazingly done correctly, everyone wins. The environment wins, we win, and of course, the Arapaima wins. That's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the Arapaima. As always, make sure to check me out on my Facebook and Twitter account for news and other fun information, as well as links. Links will be provided below in the episode description for Facebook and Twitter. However, if you don't do the whole social media thing because they are always watching and listening to you, you can always email me at ericlikesanimals at gmail.com. And remember, if you win the money on Jeopardy with that fun, interesting fact about the Arapaima or create a vacuum company named Arapaima, I want to share in the profits. But until that, or until next time, I got nothing else for you guys. So thank you guys once again, and see you next time. <laughs>